Hello and welcome back to Hope Reclaimed. I am your host, Ellie Hope Herringshaw, and I'm really glad you're here today. It's in this podcast that we talk about active and practical ways that we can step into healing because Jesus has already extended healing to us. And sometimes it's our job to step in and receive it for ourselves. Right now, we are in the middle of a series on dating after divorce. And today you're going to be hearing from my friend, Annie Davis. And this story is not specifically about dating after divorce. It's just her story of divorce. But in it is also about dating. (laughs) So I really hope you enjoy this episode. I hope that you find some encouragement with it. So let's get right into it. This podcast is all about stepping into areas of pain and, Mm -hmm. um, and allowing God to heal and bringing, bringing hope to people that have gone through hard stuff or who are going through hard stuff. And I know that you've gone through hard stuff and share a little bit about your story. If you're, if you're open and available to do that. (laughs) You know, I think it's hard to know where to begin because it was so long ago. I mean, I was married for 29 years. So I met my ex-husband in 1981. We dated for two years because I had a pastor at the time, which was really interesting. He used to always say, you need to love through four seasons because he said, sometimes if you know what a person is like in summer and they're all bouncy and, you know, vivacious and everything's good you may find out that in the wintertime they are, Hmm. you know, depressed and, you know, completely opposite. So he said, you need to see what they're like through all four seasons. So he was very much about that. So it was like, I thought that that would be the solution to everything. If you knew somebody through all four seasons and you still loved them, then you would be okay. Hmm. Yeah. One year. So we actually dated for two years. We got married on the second anniversary of the date that we actually met. And, um, you know, looking back now, I mean, of course, in hindsight, everything is 2020. So I see things so completely different than I did back then. But back then, everything looked like what I was used to. Hmm. So the way that he treated me was the way everybody else treated me. It was it looked normal for the family that I grew up in. Not that the family that I grew up in was bad by any means, but it was just it was normal. There was nothing that stood out to me as being a red flag until way, way later. And I think that over the 29 years that I was married, the, the changes took place so slowly and so almost calculated that I became very desensitized Mm -hmm. to what was going on. One of the biggest things for me was the isolation because slowly but surely all of my friends and family you know, there were wedges that were put in. Um, I was self-employed. I worked at home. So, well, I didn't need to leave the house. I didn't need to go anywhere, but I didn't need to go see anybody else unless it had to do with a paycheck. Money was a huge focus, which looking back now should have probably been a red flag, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't at the time because it was like, no, you just, you have to make more money because you have to make ends meet. Right. You know, even with my family, I didn't spend a lot of time with my family. I've got two older brothers, but they're 10 and 14 years older than me. So I was in effect raised almost like an only child. Hmm. So by the time I was old enough, they were off, they were in the army, they were overseas, whatever. So we weren't raised as one family that really had a lot of close connections. Wow. Wow. And so that, you know, that just helped me feel more comfortable within the picture that I was in because again, it didn't seem odd, Hmm. you know, but then I would spend time with friends and it was like, why does your life look so much different than mine? But it didn't, it didn't click. It didn't register for you. Yeah. Yeah. 
And those friends slowly but surely got pulled away. And I didn't recognize that as being something that was being done to me. I thought it it was just circumstances that were just happening. That's amazing that now you have that perspective being on this side, the like, oh, this is what was happening, but you didn't have necessarily the words to be able to, to say it or the way to identify that this was actually what was happening. And without having a community of strong friends, the right friends, around you that can speak into you. And you know, you often hear people talk about comparison and it's not good to compare yourself to other people. Yeah. But in a circumstance like this, you need that community to bounce off of and go, why does my life look so much different than yours? Yeah. Is there something wrong? Because sometimes that can actually be a red flag for you where otherwise you don't know. And I think that isolation is such a key point so that then the rest of that isn't in place. Um, so, so you, you would see somebody else's life and say, this is, this is looking different than, than Mm -hmm. mine. How long did it take between that time to then really realize that there may need to be changes made? You know, I think for a very long time, I was the type of person that on my birthday and on new year's Eve, for some reason, those were the two times of the year that I would always sit down and just reflect on where have I came from? Yeah. And what has changed in my life and where do I want to head? It was like every year I would sit and I would reflect on all of that information. And the, the one thing that I just kept doing is going, nothing's changing. Hmm. Nothing is looking different than it did even 20 years ago. Wow. How am I going to have a hope that something's going to change next year? If it hasn't changed in all this time, why is it going to change again? And I knew that that seemed really hopeless, but I didn't know what to do about it. Hmm. It was like, well, I guess this is just my life and this is what it's going to look like. I knew something wasn't right. I didn't know if it was wrong because it was just like, I guess this is just the deck of cards I've been dealt and I can't do anything about it. And anytime that a change took place at home, uh, when that change was kind of put on me, if you will, it was always justified. Hmm. It was always put across to me in a way that made sense to me. It was like, okay, that makes sense. So I can't question it. I trusted my ex-husband because that's what you're supposed to do. You know, you're not taught not to trust your spouse in in either direction. (laughs) So when he would say something and convince me of something, and then if I did have a contact or a friend that would say, Annie, that's not right oh no, this is what it is. And I would explain it and I would explain it the Mm -hmm. way he justified it to me and it made sense. And they would be like, that's, that's not right. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would excuse them or dismiss them Wow. because I felt like I was standing by my husband and agreeing with him. Right. So it was hard for me to see if there was going to be a right side and a wrong side, then they had to be the wrong side because this was home. And, and you this trust. is myself. I did have one situation where I remembered a friend had gotten a hold of me. I had I had just met her towards the end of my marriage. This was a couple of years before my marriage ended. And I had been out of town for work because I could go anywhere that it involved our income. So I was in um, Tulsa and I had met a gal and she actually lived in Detroit. And we crossed paths. We hit it right off. And so one night she texted me and she asked if she could call me. And I said, um, give me just a few minutes. And so she called me and Annie, what are you doing? I said, I'm talking to you. And she goes, no, what are you doing? And I said, nothing. I'm talking to you. 
And she goes, something doesn't sound right. She said, where are you? I said, I'm in my bathroom. And she said, why are you in your bathroom? And I said, because I can't make phone calls. And she goes, what? And I said, well, it's not that I can't make phone calls. But if I do, then I have to be sitting in the living room Mm. in my chair with my husband on the couch. And he listens to what I'm saying. And then if he doesn't like where the conversation is going, by his facial features and hand motions, he coaches me through the call, lets me know what I can and cannot say. And then even after the call, there's been times where it's like, you know, when you said that, that was not right. You need to call that person back and correct what you said. And this is what you need to say. Hmm. And she goes, do you not realize that that's wrong? No. Yeah. She goes, how can you not see that that's wrong? I said, that's the way it's always been. So at at that point, then she started paying more attention to our conversations and she would start pointing out more and more. And I think there was a point, like I say, you know, maybe 27, 28 years into the marriage that those pieces started picking away. It was Mm -hmm. like a scab on a wound that you slowly start picking away and people started pointing things out to me or I started noticing and then it was like, oh, maybe, maybe that isn't right. Yeah. This isn't normal necessarily. Yeah, because I was so by myself yeah. that I thought everything was normal and everything oh. that was going on around me was what was wrong. Wow. So was that kind of a turning point that, that, that instance with your friend? Yeah, it really was. Although I didn't know at that point, what was I going to do about it? Yeah. Because it was like, well, I'm not going to confront him because he'll just convince me that it is normal. One night I had one of my closest friends, she called me and she said, here's the deal. I have a friend who wants you to do a job for her. And so I need to get together and talk to you about the parameters of the job and we can talk about price and all of that stuff. Can you meet me for coffee? I said, okay. But there was something in her that knew Hmm. that if it was about money, I could leave the house. So I met her for coffee. I walked into this little coffee shop and the first words out of her mouth were, why haven't you left him yet? And I just looked at her. I went, what? And she said, Annie, she says, I've known you my whole life. You have changed so much in recent years. Mm -hmm. You have become unrecognizable. You do not have your individuality. You Mm -hmm. do not have your personality. She said, you are not you. You are a shred of you. And she just went to town and she just ranted and ranted and ranted is the way I took it. And it was the hardest conversation I've ever had in my life. And, but it was the best conversation because she said, what are your reasons for not leaving? And she goes, I want them, number them now, number one. And I said, fear. She said, what are you afraid of? And I said, well, I'm afraid I won't be able to make it on my own. And she said, you've been your only income for the last 12 years and you've supported (laughs) a family of four. What makes you think you can't take care of yourself? I was like, oh, that's a good point. (laughs) It's a good point. But it's one you don't think of. No, you don't. Number two was, this is wrong. Hmm. I said, we grew up in the church. The church taught us that you don't leave a marriage without biblical grounds. And I said... And I said, granted, I do have information that I know that he has had an affair before, but wow. that's been so long ago. I chose to look the other way, whatever the case may be. And it's like, that's not what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. Or so I thought. And I said, so I can't leave. 
And she just, again, she brought up scripture. She brought up, you know, he has not withheld his marriage vows to you. He has Mm -hmm. not provided for your family. He has not, you know, and she just started going down the list. And I just sat there in shock. I mean, she was hard on me. By the end of the night, she said, I'm going to call and check on you tomorrow. I want, she goes, I know you can't afford an attorney. I want you to get on the phone in the morning. I want you to call legal aid. I want you to find out how to file for divorce, how you're going to be able to handle this. I want you to start that process. And she says, I'm going to check on you. I'm going to make sure that you're moving forward. She said, this has to stop. So this is a bold friend. This is a very bold friend. This is a very bold friend. And not everyone has this experience of somebody shaking them and saying like, this is wrong or this is not right. That happened to work for you. It may not be the best strategy for everyone. (laughs) So, but um, because sometimes that needs a little bit more gentleness. And the Lord knew that that was what I needed. Yes. And And he he is so good because he knows exactly what we need. And, and so if you are a friend listening that, um, that is maybe has a friend that's going through something hard, maybe that is the strategy that the Lord's giving you. And maybe it's not necessarily, but, but to be in tune with the Holy spirit, knowing that he's actually going to guide us through all this stuff. It's, we're not doing it alone. Right. And she said it just got to the point where she herself just decided that she was at that breaking point. Yeah. She's like, I, I can't let it go on any longer as a yes. friend. As a friend, it is my, it's my obligation, my responsibility yeah. to say something and intervene. Wow. And then, and then that was the kind of the beginning of the end. Of yeah, it the really was. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it does take those, like those moments of rock bottom and being like, okay, so it's this bad. And Um, God values the covenant so much. We value the covenant so much that sometimes we actually have to cut the ties to say there's not going to be more, no more. And, and I think that that is, is that sometimes the most loving thing we're not, we're we're never here to glorify divorce. I hate divorce. (laughs) You hate divorce. Um, but at times we're brought to our knees where that is actually necessary for your safety, for, um, and for the value of the covenant, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. So at that point, you know, we're, 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 brought, we're brought to our knees where we need to just surrender and, um, and believe that God is going to bring restoration to us individually. Yeah. So what did that look like for you? I mean, what was the healing process at that point like? Oh, you know... I can honestly say, even in the filing of the paperwork, because I did not have an attorney, I couldn't afford one. So I found out how to just download the paperwork off the internet. I delivered them to him myself. Um, The day I filed the paperwork, it was, it was definitely a relief, but it was still, then there was that waiting period. And then you had to wait because it hurt. I mean, it just flat out. It is, it is. No other explanation. It's a, it's a tearing off of yourself like there's that that soul tie is real with that person that you're covenanted to and then when that's pulled off it's like you're walking around with half an arm like it's yeah it hurts i've heard it said that if you take two pieces of wood and glue them together and put the wood together if that glue is cured properly those pieces of wood will always stay together and if you try to pull the pieces of wood apart they will not split cleanly no one of the pe- um, some of the shreds from wood piece number B are going to stick with wood piece number A and yeah. vice versa. So it will never be a clean break. You're yeah. always going to have shrapnel. You're always going to have 
you know, yeah. shreds of that other person yeah. in your life. And so you, you felt that at this time. Absolutely. Feeling, feeling broken, feeling very alone in your, in your apartment. Yep. And then one day I was having a particularly down moment when um, a friend ha just happened to call at the right time. And she said, you know, she said, you need to get away from there. You need to move out of town. You need to get a fresh start, a new beginning. And at the time it was, it felt like the answer. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? Maybe this is the case. Yeah. I just start over. And so I did. And I felt like I jumped from the frying pan into the fire. It was mm -hmm. like, that was the wrong decision. Mm -hmm. But at the time it felt like the only decision. Cause I just felt like I needed to get away from the hurt and I didn't know how else to do it. Yeah. And, um, I did, again, I did not have a community of people around me. There definitely came a point where it was like, once I got out of the marriage, I felt like I had broken out of a jail cell mm -hmm. and I had not done a whole lot of dating before I met him. And so it was like, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to experience life. And that's what I did when I was living in Detroit. I lived there for about 11 months and I dated anybody and everybody and they were all the wrong people. Yeah. <laughs> they were all, I, not, I don't want to say just as bad, if not worse, but none of them just were healthy the right because people. I wasn't healthy. Yes. Yes. And, and unhealthy people attract unhealthy people. Exactly. Yeah. And I just wanted somebody that would pay attention to me because mm. To me, I thought paying attention to me made it feel like they loved me or they yeah. cared about me. Yeah. And that was not the case at wow. all. Wow. Because there was, there was this piece missing in you. You had been hurt and not cared for in your marriage. Like you, like you should have been, like God intended you to be. And then it, it, make, it does make sense in our flesh to then search that out in someone else to say like, okay, well, maybe someone can see me like that. Maybe someone can love me in the way that I actually deserve. Yeah. Um, and so then searching for that, make it does make sense. And it's, I think, what a lot of people end up doing for a season. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I was so tired of feeling like I had been manipulated. Yeah. And so I thought, well, I've got a handle on this. I can do it right now. And, yeah. and of course, I don't. <laughs> I'm going to do it on my own and I'm doing great. That didn't sound like it didn't last very long. No, it was just, it was just, I was one hot mess after another. I was like wow. bouncing on from one lily pad to another, just drowning myself in, in wrong moves. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and it took the Lord bringing me back to Omaha, which was a hard move for me because I, um, I felt like I was coming back with my tail between my legs because I didn't accomplish what I had set out to do. But I had to realize the same friend that, that talked to me, you know, had that hard conversation yeah. with me. She's the one that said, you know what, Annie, not everybody can pick up and move to a strange city and start a life over again and do what you did. You have not failed. You've shown how much courage and strength that you have by being mm -hmm. able to even attempt that. And that really helped get me through that part of it because yep. I didn't want to have to come back and tell my mom, I'm moving back. So by the grace of God, you didn't stay in that place. Yes. Uh, how, what, what did that then look like? Stepping into new levels of healing, maybe realizing, okay, maybe I need to take a break on the dating situation mm -hmm. and focus on me. You know, after I moved back for, to Omaha, it, um, it didn't get all better 
right away. It, it rarely does. <laughs> still a process. I spent a, about, I think it was about a, a little over a year living with my mom. Um, she was getting older. She was in poor health. Um, I was under the impression that she needed me there to help her. And it wasn't until I finally was like, I need to get out. I need to get in my own place. I need to get my own, you know, my own life and I need to get on my own. And when I did, that's when the Lord met me and just started pulling me in closer and closer Mm -hmm. and closer. And I was going to a church that I was going to with a friend because it was just a place to get out of the house. Mm -hmm. And it was a place to be around people that I figured would be healthy people. But I didn't necessarily agree with the doctrine of the church, but I was embarrassed to go to the church that my ex-husband and I had been to. Right. So I finally, and I don't even know what happened. It was like one Sunday morning I got up and I was like, why am I allowing him and any intimidation that he has put on me, not let me walk back into the church where my heart is. So that was I your... want to go to my church, if you will. That that was that was your embarrassment of yeah of feeling like maybe if I would walk in here, I would be walking in as a failure because I've had a failed marriage or. And also, what had he said to any of these people mm-hmm. that he was in contact with? You know, had they heard his side of the story and didn't hear my side because obviously, it's his side is going to look very different than mine. Mm-hmm. And so I had stayed away from that church for a very long time. And I knew most of the people there and it was like, I just didn't know what I was going to be facing. So it was really more of the fear of the unknown. Yeah. And it's mostly the fear of the unknown. It mostly is. is. It's mostly the fear of what's going to happen and what are people going to say? And, and what if, what if, what if? Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, is when I finally got up the courage to walk back into that church None of that was there. Wow. I mean, it was, it was like I just had been out of town for a week and I just came back and people were like, oh, it's good to have you back. And nobody yeah. ever said anything to me. They did not seem judgmental towards me. If mm. anything, they were like, Annie, I'm so sorry. I've heard what's happened. We're here to support you. Wow. Um, yeah. That's so beautiful. anything that I had built up as a fear in my own mind yeah. was totally not there. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, the, the shame that you were feeling that was keeping you isolated from a place that you love and a church community was, you really, we, shame is just a liar. Fear yeah. is just a liar. Um, I yeah. mean, fear has its appropriate place because it can keep us from getting attacked by lions and things like that. But, yeah. <laughs> but it is so important to not allow fear and shame to hold us back from anything when we've been hurt. So, so stepping back into that church was a huge step and obviously, and I mean, it makes sense that it wasn't, that it was hard and challenging to do that, but, but good for you for going back in there and reclaiming it. I was going to say, I reclaimed the church. Yes, you did. And it wasn't even a church that I ended up staying at long, which is fine. But now you know that you're not avoiding it, that you're not living in fear because you faced it. Yep. Exactly. So that was a huge move. And because during our marriage, we never went out to eat together. I mean, our finances were always a situation where things were tough enough that if we went out somewhere, we were hitting a drive through. Yeah. So I've heard on a lot of your podcasts that you've talked about, you know, going to different restaurants and, and having all of those things to reclaim. Well, there really wasn't anything else because Mm -hmm. our life didn't look like that. Yeah. 
our life was at home behind four walls where we had just become mm-hmm. in, enclosed in ourselves. Yep. So the church there was, was the, isolation. the biggest thing yeah. for me. Wow. That's amazing that you were yeah. able to then step back in. Yeah. And I did get to the point where even though it wasn't anything that I used to do with him, it was like, well, I want to go to a movie, but I don't have anybody to go to a movie with. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to go by myself. And, Reclaiming you know, independence. Yeah. Yeah. It really for, was. for me, it was, I, I had never really been independent. So I was sort of like discovering independence. And it sounds mm-hmm. like that's what it was for you too, of just saying, okay, well, I've never really gone to a movie alone. Maybe I'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. It really was. And it was so freeing to be able to walk into a place like that and go, I want a ticket for one. And that's all that matters. And, you know, if you go to a concert, do you realize how much better of a seat you can get if you only want one ticket? (laughs) Because there's a lot of people that, like, go with three people or two people. And that's amazing. That's so cool. the rows have an odd number of seats, and if everybody's couples, it's like I can get in the first row because yeah. I'm one. <laughs> one ticket, please. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So it wow. definitely has its benefits at times. And I'm to the point where it's like I don't need anybody else in my life. And that took me about five years to get to. Mm. I mean, when I first moved back from Detroit, I thought, oh, I can do this. I I'm I'm completely healed. I you know have this impression of this is where I came from. Yeah. And if you continue to turn around and see how far you've came, you feel like you've came all the way. Mm-hmm. And then five years later, you're going, I didn't have a clue. <laughs> I still had a lot more ground to cover. Yeah. yeah. That, that's been my week this week of, of realizing like, oh my gosh, I, the Lord just brought up another layer of my healing this week of just kind of uncovering the onion of like, Okay, so now we can deal with this. Like you, you've come to this point where you are in such a place of healing and restoration, but then it's like, there's, there's always more to do. We're never, we're never done in this world because we'd be dead. That's right. So he's so gracious to then bring up, bring up those things that we need to deal with when Mm -hmm. we're ready to deal with them. Yeah. So is that where you feel um, like you are now? Like what, what are, what are some, what are some layers that are even coming out recently for you? You know, I have been doing things like when I was growing up as a little girl, my parents were self-employed. They owned a a music store here in Omaha. And so I never had a chance to like play with the neighbor kids very much Mm. because if the music store was opened, I was there. I had to entertain myself. I would sit in, you know, one of the music studios. I'd color in my coloring books. Yeah. I never really got to be what a lot of other kids' pictures of normal were. Hmm. So even this past year, I decided um, it was snowing so much here in Omaha that one day I was like, you know, I don't know if I've ever made a snow angel. I'm going to go make a snow angel. And so I- You are the coolest. (laughs) Annie, you are the coolest. Here's the deal. So (laughs) I came home from work one day and I thought, you know, I didn't want anybody to see me. So I went around to the backside of my apartment building and I took a selfie of me making snow angels. And then then I posted it on social media. And my cousin, I was telling her the story. She goes, so you hid so nobody would see you and then you posted it. And then you posted it on social media. Maybe you're actually a millennial, just like in disguise, because that's exactly what they do. Like if 
If it's not on social media, did it actually happen? <laughs> right. And so, you know, I've just been trying to step out and do things like oh, that I that I feel like that. I never got to do as a kid. Um, I'm getting, I'm going to be moving from Omaha soon. So I've been trying to go through and make a bucket list of all the places in Omaha I want to see and things that I want to do before I leave. And there's downtown, there's this place where they've got, um, it's like a mall where an outdoor mall area, it's called mall, but it's not like with stores and there's great big, huge slides. And I'm like, I'm going to go slide down the slide. Somebody to go with me because I want them to videotape it. I wish that I lived close to you because I would totally go with you. That sounds amazing. So, you know, things like that. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So so the Lord is like, he's bringing fun and joy back into your life. And maybe something that you, that, that you've never really had the experience to do that he's, he's so gracious to, to bring back the years and give us back the years that the locusts have stolen and, and yeah. eaten away. But he's so good. He's so good about that. So w- one thing I want to quickly circle back to, so you had this experience of dating kind of the wrong people for mm-hmm. a while. And, um, and then now you're in a season of just deciding I can do this. I'm, you're feeling secure in your singleness. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that journey like for you of trying that out? Maybe the wrong way. Um, have, did you have an experience of it being a, a good experience of dating? You know, it was, I enjoyed the dating. Obviously it's like any dating relationships, yeah. you know, you, you go out with one guy and you're like, Oh, he is amazing. He's adorable. I would love to, you know, see him again. And then all of a sudden one night he texts and goes, um, can we just be our little secret? And you're just like, no, <laughs> are you kidding me to find out that he's actually in a relationship with somebody else? Oh or, no. You know, and it was like Annie. those types of things were the things that I was having to deal with I'm or, sorry. you know, you'd go out with somebody and find out that even though they knew what kind of a marriage I had just walked out of, all of a sudden there was one guy that I went out with one night and um, he would not let go of me. I mean, he just, he had his arm around me all night long and it was gripping and it just made me feel, you know, contained. And I'm like, no, you don't. So when he asked me out again, I'm like, no, I don't think so. This is not going to work. And Dave's like, well, I don't get why. And I'm so non-confrontational. So it was really hard for me in those scenarios Mm -hmm. to be able to express what's going on. But, um, you know, I mean, it's, so there was just, there was a lot of different scenarios, Yeah. but it just got to the point where it was like, you know what? Number one, I don't want to date anybody that's not a believer. I mean, I've just basically set that as a ground rule. Um, and I did date a believer a couple of years ago and, honestly, he didn't treat me any better than any of the rest of the guys. Yeah. Because you put that tag on somebody doesn't mean everything is going to be good. And so ever since I broke up with him, it's like, nobody's asked me out, but I don't, I'm not in places a lot of times to meet anybody that's my age, Hmm. that it would be an open invitation. So it's like, you know what, but, but that's okay. Because when the time comes, yeah. I'm ready and they'll exactly. be ready and it will work out because it's going to be in the Lord's timing and it's going to exactly. be, it's going to be him. And, um, and I think, I mean, d- dating after divorce is very hard. It's, yeah. it's just hard. <laughs> it can easily be a rebound of just trying to fill a space, fill yeah. the, fill the hurt. Um, and that is never, 
it's never what God wants for us because he wants to be our, the person that we run to. And so if yeah. we're running to another man to satisfy that, that's, um, to, to satisfy the longing for acceptance and, and, um, and love and to know that we're beautiful, that has all been extended by Jesus already. Yeah. And I can't, I just cannot drill this in enough to people like that Jesus is all that we need. <laughs> he's yeah. all that we need. And he's, he has already extended healing. He has chosen us. We're accepted by him. And, um, and so to run to a man, to run to someone else in that is, it's, um, it's really sad. It's very easy to do yeah. and it makes sense because, mm-hmm. because we, we can so easily go there, but it's not what he wants for us. It's no. Not. And I think my biggest fear <clears throat> at this point is just making sure that if I am placed in a situation where I have the opportunity to date somebody, I don't want that. I don't want to look at anybody and automatically think the worst. It's and easy to do searching that. for red flags <laughs> of, I need to be careful with you. you yes. Know, or anything like that. Cause that, it comes up. Because dating with the Holy Spirit is very different because we're saying, um, yeah, we, I, I, I use the example a lot that we talk about in my church is the red light living of, um, this idea that at some times we, we, we live our lives thinking that there's a red light just waiting for God to just turn it green and then we can go. But really, we're living this world with green lights everywhere, that we're doing this life as a partnership with the Holy Spirit. So so driving along the road, believing that if something is wrong, he'll tell us, he'll yeah. reroute us, but not living in fear of, um, of, you know, thinking like the worst about everything. And so I think yeah. dating, too, that can be so important of, um, of just believing and trusting God that if something's wrong, he's going to make that clear. And he'll make yeah. it clear that that relationship needs, needs to end. Um, and also having a healthy community of people around you yes. so that when something does go or when something happens, you can go, hey, guys, I need to talk to you about this. Mm-hmm. Tell me if I'm on the right track or if I'm just yep. blowing something out of proportion. Yes, relationships are supposed to be done in community, too. I really yes. believe this. So I... Like in my friends that are dating, I'm not, I'm not currently dating right now, but what my friends that are, that are dating, I love to ask them the hard questions. Like, you know, this, the stakes are high. They are They're really high. And, and we've been on this side of having, having a covenant and then having it broken. So we, I mean, I don't take that lightly at all with, with, with my friends and with other people. Yeah. But, but you're on, you're, you're going to be currently heading off really soon to, one of my favorite places, um, never been there. <laughs> I just like listen to all of the, but, but you're, but you're going to, um, the Bethel school of ministry, right? Yes. I am so oh my excited. Gosh. I'm so excited for you. You leave in August. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, Bethel is in Redding, California. Um, I listen to Bill Johnson and, um, and I mean all those guys all the time. Um, and of course there's a music, like if no one has heard of Bethel, you've probably heard of Bethel music. And if you haven't heard of Bethel music, you've certainly heard Bethel's music (laughs) because it's everywhere. Um, but, but yeah, so you're going to be heading out and doing this school. Um, Mm -hmm. what are you going to be, what are you going to be focusing on at the school? Well, you know, everybody, the way that the school is structured, everybody comes for 
I could say their own reasons. Mm -hmm. So some people come because they want to be missionaries. Some people come, you know, to, um, to teach at the school. Some people come for a lot of different reasons. My goal right now is to focus on hopefully um, working with women that are involved in domestic violence, wow. just because that's obviously such a passion for me at this yeah. point. Um, knowing that as I get there, the Lord can do whatever he wants and he can change my path or tweak it or, you know, whatever he wants he to do. He has full fine. permission to do that because our he lives are not our own. <laughs> that's right. Um, but that's what's getting me there. Cool. So, um, but I think that from what I've heard, and I mean, I've heard a lot of information, but obviously I haven't experienced it. Um, but the first year of the school is really based on identity and they just go after identity. Who are you in Christ? Who has he created you to be? Um, finding out what your own giftings are, what he has, you know, placed within you. And that is to help find yeah. who, you know, what you should pursue from here. So, um, I don't think you could ever have too much of that information. Never. You know, never. So I'm just really looking forward to just pouring myself into that whole experience and just seeing where he leads. And I truly think that I may never be back to live in Omaha again. I'm just wow. like, I'm getting rid of everything except for a few things that, you know, the kids' toys and stuff like that, yeah. that, you know, can't be replaced. And it's like, I'm just going for it. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and I love that what you said about identity too, that we can't get enough of it because when we live this life and when we've had these hard experiences, when you've been through domestic abuse like you have, um, we have these, these false identities put on us mm -hmm. and we can then begin to believe them and we can begin yeah. to be, you know, think that this is actually who I am. But to get those stripped away to say, no, actually, God created me to be this, and because because of what He did on the cross, therefore I am enough. And because yeah. of all of those things, then um, I can truly live into my own identity, which is a child of the King. Yeah, a child of God. There's a new song. I think it's fairly new, but um, one of the lines of the song is, "There's no sound louder than the captive set free." And that is Ugh. so what I feel right now. Because it's like, how do you walk through something, have the mm -hmm. Lord free you from something and not want to shout it from the mountaintops and not so want to do something? It's like, there's too much hurt. There's too yeah. much brokenness out there. I need to do anything that I can to help reduce those statistics. Yes, absolutely. Reduce the statistics and then just give the glory to God and say like... Look what yes. he did to me. Like, look yeah. at look at where I was. That's that's so important with testimony. It's throughout the Gospels. People hear about Jesus doing something, and then they think, oh, oh I'm going to go after that too. So we have to be able to, to share our testimony with someone to build their faith to then for them to say, okay, there is actually hope. There yeah. is more than this. And, yep. and so I just thank you so much for sharing your story of um, – of your, your experience, but then also the, the healing that the Lord's brought you on and that he continues to bring you on because it's, yeah. we're, we're never just done. It's not a destination. Nope. It's, and there's like, no, it is not. it's all about the journey. It's all about the journey. And I'm, I'm so excited for what you're going to be doing. And, um, you know, at obviously at Bethel, but then afterwards too, of stepping into these new areas of, of, healing and bringing, you know, bringing hope to women that have gone through domestic abuse. It's just, that's so important and so what we need. 
Well, I so thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it a little bit because, you know, there's not always a platform available to be able to speak out and you definitely want to do it with honor and grace to anybody that's been involved in your life. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's, I know you've talked a lot about, you know, uh, not wanting to slander anybody and that's not what it's about at all. Yeah. It's not about revenge, but it's, it is our story. And yeah. it's what we've walked through and it's our point of view. But um, I truly believe that he can do something with it. Yeah, and he, I know, I know that he's doing that in your life. That's just so beautiful. You have so much wisdom. I am so, oh. I'm just really grateful that, that um, our paths crossed in this way yes. and that we were, we were able to connect and that you were able to do this interview. I'm just really, really grateful. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I love it. <laughs> Oh, I love it too. I love you. You are, you're just amazing. So thank you so much. I love Annie. I, I just met her and I just love her so much. I think she is just, her perspective is just amazing. If this podcast is something that is resonating with you, would you subscribe to this podcast on iTunes? Give it a rating, give it a five-star rating and write a review because that really does help other people find this. And then if Hope Reclaimed is something that is resonating with you. If you're liking this ministry, you can give to this ministry financially on my Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash hope reclaimed. This does take funds and um, that really does help me out. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will continue the series on dating after divorce next week. Remember everyone, there is healing, there's redemption in Jesus, and there is always, always hope. Because remember, hope is my middle name. We'll see you next week.